get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Welcome back to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Up next, we have an interview with Jack Ham, Pro Football Hall of Fame linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, was there any option other than going to Penn State? Uh, actually, no. Uh, I was not, uh, you know, very, very quickly I'll tell you that I was not the five-star recruit coming out of high school. Uh, in fact, uh, I grew up in Johnstown, PA. One of my one of my teammates uh, recommended me a guy by the name of Steve Smear, who was already at Penn State, uh, and uh, he recommended me to uh, to uh, Joe Paterno and the Penn State coaching staff. And, uh, and at that time, I was in a military school in uh, in Virginia. I was going to go to VMI, and uh, the more I got involved in the military life, the less I enjoyed it, and I ended up uh, getting one scholarship, and that was from Penn State, and uh, that's how I that's how I ended up uh, going to Penn State. I was very, very, very fortunate, and uh, that they gave me an opportunity because, uh, like I said, I was not a five-star recruit and had all these scholarship offers. I only had the one to Penn State. Plenty more of Penn State was kind of like a military school because you were all white and they were very stringent. <laughs> well, it was very strict. There's no question about that. And uh, edu- education was always paramount because you, you know, as Joe Paterno always felt that you know you only a few people get the opportunity to go to pro football, and uh, and even if you go to pro football, your chance of getting hurt are, are pretty high as well. So education was very, very important up there, and it was something that. Uh, uh, you know, you had, you had to adhere to. Plus, the fact that uh, I hate to date myself at, the, at that era, but that was also during the Vietnam War era. And if you didn't stay up with your class, uh, you ended up being uh, drafted. So, you'd be surprised how how hard guys worked in school uh, when you had that kind of incentive to continue with your college deferment time. Yes, I, I remember it well, not fondly, but I remember. Yeah, I, exactly. I do remember it. <laughs> You mentioned Steve Smear. Uh, he, he was one of the stars of the team. I remember Mike Reed, the piano playing, uh, defensive tackle, and all that good stuff. Was your transition to the college game simple? Did you say, okay, I can play on this level? Well, you know what? It, you're, you're right about one thing. I, it, it, that, that front four, you, and you could throw in a guy by the name of John Ebersol, who also was a teammate yeah. of Mike Reed at Altoona High School and, and came to uh, – uh, Penn State together. I mean, a terrific, terrific defensive line that played for the New York Jets for a number of years as a linebacker, but played defensive line for us. Uh, we had a front four. Those three guys, along with a guy named Gary Hall, so we had a front four that could could really get after it. And uh, uh, the transition freshmen could not play. You know, you had your. You know, we, we, at that time, you had two games and against uh, Pitt and then West Virginia, and then most of the time you were cannon fodder for the. Uh, for the varsity, and uh, I don't think until spring practice of my freshman year, when you're going up, you know, toe to toe with everybody else, uh, you're the other players on the team who were sophomores and juniors, and, and are going to be seniors. Uh, that I kind of found out that I was, uh, you know, I was good enough. I was good enough to play, and, uh, and that's that spring practice is when I became was on the as a first team linebacker on the. On a defense that had those guys you mentioned, but also Dennis Oncotts and right. and Jim Cates and, and Neil Smith. I mean, we had a big time defense coming back. It wasn't where there was like you know nine or ten spots open of, with graduation, or whatever. This was a, a veteran team coming back, and I played with that group for a couple of years. 
The offense wasn't too shabby either. Well, you know, we ran the football. We had, you know, we had a guy by the name of Franco Harris and Lydell Mitchell back there uh, running the football for us. So yeah, we were. It was a. It was a pound. It. Uh, you know, everything was. It was predicated on the running game on the offensive side. We weren't exactly airing and out throwing the football, but uh, we had, uh, you know, gifted running backs and uh, you know, solid offensive line and and you know, we won a lot of. You know, seventeen to seven games, uh, fourteen to three games, kind of that. And our, you know, and and our defense was about as good as you're going to get. We, like I said, that front four was a critical part for us on the, on the defense side of the ball. But uh, uh, yeah, that was the that's the way you play the game back then. Solid defense, run the football offensively, don't make mistakes, don't turn the football over, and you got a chance to win a lot of football games. Who gave you more trouble at practice, uh, Franco or without? Well, you know, for me, being an outside linebacker, my freshman year, uh, my first practice, I'm uh, I'm lining up, and we actually we played cover two back then with uh, you know our, the linebacker coach Dan Radakovich, who kind of implemented a lot of this for us. So the, so the big key was you never could let the tight end inside release and get up the field because it, it would always stretch the two safeties downfield. So. First play of the game, first practice of the game, uh, this, a tight end goes and gives me a move, goes inside, gets up the field, and uh, you know it was, the tight end was Ted Kowalik. This was not some you know, some shabby tight end. He was an all-American, going to be an all-American, two-time all-American at Penn State, and uh, and played for the 49ers. And uh, but my linebacker coach took the clipboard and threw it at me, took his whistle and threw it at me, and uh, and that was my first indoctrination into. Uh, you know how to play defense, how to be disciplined out there, and, and so I was more. To answer your question, I was going against more tight ends than I was, and, and Ted Kowalik probably gave me more. You know, you talk about a freshman going up against a senior, and it just you know I learned so much on how to play. So if I could play against him in practice, I could do, do a pretty good job. And anybody I played on a Saturday afternoon. Now the game I remember having gone to Missouri is the uh, 1970 Orange Bowl, where it's it looked like. Every punt return, John Staggers returning a punt was like half a step away from returning a touchdown. But you guys shut down a, a pretty high-powered offense that had uh, Terry McMillan, a quarterback, Mel Gray uh, as one of the wide receivers, and had a pretty fair running back in Joe Moore and also James Harrison, right. both, both of whom ended up playing a little bit with the Bears. So that's, that game, is if, we had, if you had a... You had a benchmark on how good our defense was. That was as gifted an offense. That offense, I think, went into Michigan that year and ripped Michigan by about 30 points. Yeah. And that offense, I think it averaged something about 35, 38 points a game. And you're right about the fact you had Mel Gray on the outside, John Staggers, who, who was just a, you know, complete player, played slot, wide receiver. I was matched up on him a, a lot of times in, in a game like that. And, and that offense was, was as good as you're going to get that we've ever played against at, at Penn State. And, and, uh, I think we intercepted him seven times in that game, and and we had uh, three fumbles. We had we had ten turnovers in that game, and our offense generated ten points. And uh, uh, that's that's that game there where I thought, you know what, our defense is about as good as you're going to get to hold a team like that. Because offensively, we never saw a team like Missouri, and they were they were an incredible, talented offensive football team. Yeah, but I, I don't think they ever saw a defense like the Nittany. Well, again, I, you, you go back to it. I, I was kidding people. I said I played with the Reed Smear uh, and ever saw those guys up front in uh, in college football and in pro football. I got Elsie Green with Joe Green and uh, Ernie Holmes and uh, Dwight White. I don't know what bad defensive linemen were like. And when you're a linebacker, you're as good as the people up front. And uh, I'm uh, very fortunate in my college and pro career to have that kind of talent up front. And uh, 
and it was both in college and pro. Those defensive front four set the tone for us. How happy were you when you got drafted by the Steelers? Not very, because uh, you know, the day before the, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm normally not a very gullible guy, but it kind of coming out of college that the Giants called me and San Diego called me, and they, they told me the next day they're going to draft me for, in the first round, and uh, I actually believed them. And <laughs> so the next day, uh, uh, I don't get drafted till. Uh, uh, the beginning of the second round, uh, uh, Pittsburgh takes Frank Lewis, a, a really gifted wide receiver out of Grambling. And so I was drafted by Pittsburgh in the second round. And being around here, I grew up in Johnstown, I went to Penn State. I thought pro football would give me at least an opportunity to live somewhere else and experience somewhere else in the country. And uh, it was not to be. And uh, so I really wasn't all that happy. Pittsburgh was not a very good football team. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't this euphoric uh, day for me that uh, – that I enjoyed it, you know, I thought uh, I was gonna, I actually going to go somewhere else and actually go around earlier. So uh, it's actually kind of more disappointing in a sense for me, but uh, in, in retrospect, it could not have turned out any better uh, for me in my career. But at that, 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 that particular day, being drafted by Pittsburgh was uh, really not, and they never even called me. No, no one from Pittsburgh even called me prior to the draft to uh even ask me any questions or any kind of interview or whatever, so I never even expected to get drafted by the Steelers. I looked at that first round of the, the 71 draft, and I, I, I'm just amazed at all the players that didn't really make it. And, and, you, and you think, well, well maybe if you come along 40 years ago, the, the scouting would have been a lot better and you would have ended up in that first round. But uh, Well, you know what, there was only one linebacker. I forget, I, was, I think I was drafted 30. Eighth or whatever. Right. Isaiah, Ro- Isaiah Robertson was the touted as the. Right. He was out of Southern, and he was. Uh, I mean, two two thirty five, two forty could run. I mean, I played, I played with him in the in the college all star game. So, uh, uh, you know, there was a debate here in Pittsburgh, and uh, Noel. I think Noel won that it take me in the first round, and people thought, you know, you can wait, get get Frank Lewis, and then uh, you can get Hammond in the second round, and. Uh, Hey, you know what? It, it, it turned out fine for me. It, it, um, I have no complaints about it at all going forward. It, it, uh, trust me, it wasn't like the, the difference back then was a, 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 in a million dollar range for my my right. bonus. So it, 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 uh, it didn't really didn't didn't change my tax bracket that much. <laughs> <laughs> but you had that, like you said, that great defensive line in front of you, which made things easier. You had Joe Green, Elsie Greenwood. And the linebackers were too shabby were himself and uh, Jack Lambert. Right, and Andy Russell on, on the other side. And, oh, you're right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, any time uh, on my left side, there, there are a lot of times uh, we didn't get a lot of plays run by way with Joe Green and Elsie Greenwood up front on that side. So teams are normally on a running game are usually right-handed teams except for the Oakland Raiders back then. And so you would uh, normally get a lot of traffic. But uh uh, sometimes by pure reputation alone, we didn't get a lot of plays run our, run our way, which is fine for me as well. But uh, uh, it, it's uh, you know again, I had a great rapport, especially with LC playing in front of me. He was you know he wasn't a the, the brute strength type of guy, but his finesse, uh, quickness, and all the things that he did, we kind of worked well together. And, uh, and so it's like I said, it's you're as good a linebacker as the front four in front of you. That's a given, and uh, and uh, I was like I said, I was very fortunate to have great ones in front of me. So the first season, the Steelers go uh, six and eight and seventy-one. Do you say to yourself, okay, this is going to be my pro career? This year, you know, we're going to be sort of middle of the road team, or how do you how did well, you approach yeah, that? Well, I actually, I, I, I had to play in a college all-star game back then before I came, because so I was late coming to camp. So we actually scrimmaged the Chicago Bears, and and we as 
college, you know, senior, you know, college all stars. We ended up beating the, those guys in that in that scrimmage we had up. I forget the Lake Forest, I think, because I'm not sure where they used to have their training camp. Anyways, uh, so our first game out of Pittsburgh was against Chicago, and, and uh, I'm thinking, you know, Chicago was, back then was not a very good football team, and we're winning 17 to three. In fact, I just saw Dick Butkus a couple of, uh, about a week ago. We're winning 17, 15 to 15 to three, and. Uh, Late in, the, late in the fourth quarter, Butkus hits one of our running backs, fumbles the ball, they run it in for a touchdown. Next series, he does the same thing again to another running back, and we lose the game 17-15. We lost to a bad Chicago Bear football team, and, and I'm thinking to myself, you're right. I'm thinking, is this where this is going to be? My career is going to be just like this? Because, like I said, we lost to a very bad Chicago Bear team. I'm thinking, oh, God, this is going to be a terrible, terrible situation here. But... Uh, yeah, we kind of like plotted along my rookie year, and then uh, in, in 72, we got Franco Harrison in their first round, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, that turned around. I think we were 11-3 and that year, and, uh, you know, the playoffs and Super Bowls from there on out. What made Chuck Knowles such a good coach? Was it the players, or was it just his style? I think we bought into his style. He was very business-like kind of a guy, uh, you know, preparation. We knew he was a real smart guy. I mean, he was... I mean, uh, he's he's more of a kind of a renaissance guy as a head coach because he's a wine connoisseur. Uh, he had his own pr- aircraft. He was he was a pilot. He flew his own plane. Uh, just he was a smart, smart guy. And I think we all kind of felt that uh, you know we have Chuck Noll. We have a little bit of an advantage over everybody else out there because we have him on our side of, uh, of the field and uh, uh, stickler for detail and treated. Bradshaw down to the 50th player the same way, and uh, he, you know, if you weren't good enough, you knew you weren't going to be there, you know, there on that football team. And uh, the best thing he ever did, I think, we won our first Super Bowl the following year. We're training camp, and uh, he told us in the first day of our meeting, said, you know, you can put your Super Bowl rings up on the shelf because there's not a damn thing you did last year going to win you a job on this football team this year. And, you know, we bought into that, and he said each each game you're going to play this year after winning a championship is going to be every team is going to be gunning for you. And uh, we took that as a challenge, and uh, we bought into all that. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm proud about the fact that we were able to win back-to-back twice out there, and, and uh, that's something that uh, I hold that in very high regard. But, uh, uh, yes, great players we had, but you don't, you don't win and get that chemistry of a football team unless you get it from the top and – and I don't think we win our, our four Super Bowls when I played there uh, if we don't have Chuck Knoll. Now, the outside linebacker on the other side is Andy Russell, who once upon a time went to Missouri and uh, in high school was a, a star running back. He didn't seem to be blessed with the same speed that you had, because there's talk of him scoring a a 93-yard touchdown. Right. And some people said that, that was the longest touchdown in terms of time. <laughs> He took a lot of. He he did tell me that he's had uh, on that play. He had he played with a pulled groin muscle and whatever other ailments he could possibly bring up. I think, but uh, yeah. But Andy Russell, if you know Andy, and I, you know you talk about learning uh, learning on the job for me. I came here. He had already been playing for about five or six years, I think, on this on the team. Smart guy, anticipated well, prepared knew how to watch tape, and I was smart enough to realize I could learn a lot from this guy on the other side uh, uh, playing right linebacker. And, uh, and I, I, every, I, was, I was like a sponge for, 
with him. I had anything that uh, we would talk about in meetings uh, out on the field, different technique, and we went to go back and forth. And I, I learned a lot from from Andy Russell on how to play the game. Yeah, and and uh, you know I don't know what his 40 yard dash time was, but boy. He made all pro, I think, about seven or eight years. And, and if, you know what? If we don't win all the championships we win here, I think he's probably in the Hall of Fame right now because he's got the, uh, he's got the credentials to be there. But, uh, we end up winning all these championships and then all of us get in and Andy Russell is the one guy that, that does not. But, uh, I learned more from him to, you know, here in, uh, and how to play and how to be professional, uh, from Andy Russell than anybody else, uh, in my career. So, uh, uh, it was great to to be able to learn from him on the job like that. Did you have a favorite Super Bowl out of the four? You know, the Super Bowls weren't, you know, my, you know, we won our first one against uh, Minnesota, and uh, uh, we we two weeks before that we beat the Raiders out in Oakland to go to the championship to go to the Super Bowl, and uh, the, the games against the Raiders were, I think, the most uh, fun, most the things I remember most. You know, the game to get you to the Super Bowl and. Uh, I don't know if I made one or two tackles in that game against Minnesota. We ran at stun 4-3. Minnesota tried to run the football right at Joe Green and Ernie Holmes. To this day, I don't know. I don't know how you would try to do that. Do that. That's the strength of our of that stun 4-3. You just don't run the football there. And I think they gained like 17 yards rushing. And I don't. You know, I think I tackled Chuck Foreman one time in the game. So I left after that game. Not that I wasn't thrilled that we won the game, but. Uh, yeah, when we played the Raiders, those were those were epic games for us, and we uh, I think a lot of us took a lot of pride in. And if it wasn't us getting out of the AFC, it was the it was the Raiders, and uh, uh, those are probably the most fun. So, but for the Super Bowl is probably the first one because I finally gave Art Rooney Sr. the opportunity to uh, have you know, win the championship and get him the Lombardi Trophy, which was I think to a man in that locker room was probably the most important thing for us and. Uh, but for pure games, uh, I have to go that rivalry with the Raiders was something special. So, did you have a pretty good view of Franco Harris's immaculate reception? Actually, you know, I was on the field. I was on, uh, you know, the last play that we thought the last play of the game, and, and so forth. And actually, uh, I never did, did see the, uh, the deflection, and all I knew was the crowd going crazy and whatever. But uh, I didn't. Uh, you know, at that time, you know, the, you had to make sure whether, in fact, they're going to call that thing back, and you couldn't, you couldn't uh, double touch a, a ball back then. That was the illegal play, and uh, now my vantage point. But uh, you know, it was I, I didn't really see the play, but uh, it's amazing. I think our stadium held about fifty thousand. I think I, over the course of many years, I probably met about a hundred thousand people who said they were there that get day for the game. So uh, uh, I think the uh, the stories get embellished as, as they go along here, but uh, uh, I, I did not have a good uh, good view of that play. But I was, uh, like I said, I, 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 I was in, I was in games in the, in the Orange Bowl when I played uh, the year before we played Missouri. Where on a two point conversion, we don't uh, we don't uh, complete the play, and I thought we lost that game. But they had too many men on the field, and I thought that was a crazy way to end the game. And, and until I got to Pittsburgh on that, in that game against the Raiders with Franco's uh, Franco's run, which was just an amazing thing, and still I think still goes down as NFL's one of the most exciting plays in in, uh, in NFL history. Yeah. Well, can you believe what can you believe what Terry Bradshaw has become now? I mean, not just as a player. I mean, as a broadcaster, an actor, he does it all. Well, you know what? That's that, but that was Terry, Terry was like that naturally in the in the in the locker room. That that there is that's Terry. That's the. 
a lot of times very self-deprecating. Uh, he's uh, just, but that, that, that's a natural Terry, and uh, uh, you, know, you know, kidding around in the locker room, doing, you know, doing a lot of the stuff he's doing now. Uh, it does not surprise any of the players who are around him that he has made broadcasting uh, a profession and, and very and an incredible career that he has had. And I just read somewhere where he's doing some kind of a one-man show in Vegas, I guess, right now coming up here. So. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure how that's going to go for him, but uh, uh, this does not surprise any players who have been around him long enough. And knew that Bradshaw would uh, normally just step right in from playing pro football to doing all the things he's done. Yeah, but early in his career, there were people who said Bradshaw couldn't spell cat if you spotted him to right. see him. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, it, it, that, I don't think people realize he. You know, he called his own plays out there back then. That's what quarterbacks did. And, and you know, the thing I admire, I admire most about Terry is the fact. Our first two Super Bowls, we ran the football, we pounded and played great defense, and, and he was, you know, normally quarterbacks want to throw the football 35 times a game and touchdown passes, but uh, he was very content to be, you know, you know, handing off to Franco and win, winning low-scoring games. But when we needed him to throw the ball, when we probably weren't as good defensively in the last two Super Bowls, and we had guys like Swan Stallworth, Jimmy Smith out there, Frank Lewis, and he could throw the football. All he cared about, and then we needed him to do that. He was he, obviously he did that. Uh, anyway, if however he 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 was needed, he was happy uh, and it, happy doing that for the football team. And uh, he was never a quarterback out there, you know, complaining and bitching about the fact of not uh, not being able to throw the football as much. All he cared about was winning football games. And the personality of the team evolved where we had to throw the football. Obviously, he had that talent and was able to, you know, have put together incredible years with the, with the passing game. So uh, I, that's what I admire about him. He, all he cared about was winning, and whatever way that was, was happy with. He was happy with. What running back gave you the biggest problems when you were playing? Well, I think uh, for me is you know, Earl Campbell because I we had I had the misfortune of having to play against him. You know, being in our own division, <laughs> so we had to play against him twice a year. But then don't we match up with them in the playoff games, uh, championship games here in Pittsburgh twice as well. Well, and he was nothing but, uh, you know, I mean, uh, OJ was, you know, elusive and speed and, and, uh, and all of that. But uh, Earl Campbell was, is such power. And you could not get underneath him because he was about 5'10", but about 240. And, and uh, physically, just how he gave us, thank goodness he did not have a great, he didn't even have an average uh, offensive line uh, in, in, at Houston. Had he had an average offensive line, he would have racked up some numbers that are, would have just been incredible. But uh, uh, he, he by far was the toughest running back that I, I had ever had to go up against, and I, I wished he was not in my division. And he, you couldn't stop him. He played till the last second of the game, whether they're winning by ten or losing by twenty. Well, I said it happened. We were, we're we we have to get a rainy day here in, de- in December. We played in this is in the championship game here in Pittsburgh, and it was raining. And it, the second half, it, it rained. Almost went to went to snow. It got cold. And anyway, it was it was Houston orders. This is this is the kind of the worst weather in the world for them. Anyways, we're winning the game. It's thirty four to five. We got two minutes left to go in the game, and I, we know we're going to the Super Bowl. So you know, this is the championship game. And it's 34 to 5, and, you know, all you want to make sure, don't get hurt in the last two minutes of a game, whatever. And doesn't Earl Campbell run that toss away from me? I'm thinking, okay, I'll just, you know, kind of jog along here. Somebody will make the tackle over that side of the field. 
Doesn't he bend it all the way back, and we have a collision, and, and he shattered the face mask right off my uh, helmet. And, I'm, you know, I could have lost an eye or whatever. I mean, I, I never had that happen to me before because it was, it was in pieces. And, you know, laying on the ground, I said, Earl, it's 34 to 5. He said to me, you know, Jack, I'm going to go 100 miles an hour on every play. I don't care what part of the game it is or whatever. So I just gathered up my helmet, and I went to the sideline because I figured I got a Super Bowl to play. But that's the kind of running back he was. And fortunately, finally, I got to play with him in a couple of Pro Bowls and finally had him on my side, finally. But uh, what a class guy and a great, great competitor. And, uh, you know, like I said, that's that's the way he played on every play. Now, you hold the NFL record for... Most career force turnovers by a linebacker with 53. What was the key to being able to do that? Well, you know, as, as a linebacker, I, even in college, I always enjoyed the passing game. I always felt that if you're a linebacker and and you can't cover or you can't in zone defenses ball react, I mean, you're you're kind of more you become a liability. That's why they take a lot of these guys out on third down situations here now, and and uh, and I always. You know, I, I was very good at ball reacting and zone coverages. I, I, I enjoyed, I took a lot of pride in, in, in man-to-man coverages out of the backfield or on tight ends or whatever. And so, uh, and, and if you anticipate well, especially, you know, I go back to our front four. We, I didn't, I wasn't rushing off the edge a lot I'm, I'm, and, and blitzing. I was more in coverage. And it gives you time because you know, that ball's coming out of that quarterback's hands, and he doesn't have it, the luxury of pump faking here, come back over here, because, you know, we've got a darn good front four that's going to collapse that pocket, and you, we anticipate that in, a, in that secondary when I was playing, and so it gives you a chance to anticipate jump routes and, and uh, you know, ball react on your zone coverages, and, uh, so I, that, that was probably a big part of it. Plus, I, I, that part of it I really always enjoyed. I always enjoyed playing the passing game as a linebacker. I know the Packers they have their tall guy going in the Hall of Fame this year after those championship teams. Are you guys going to catch them with uh, Donnie Shell and Andy Russell, you think? Well, I, I hope so. I mean, again, I think uh, I was on a committee up there in Canton for uh, a couple of years ago when uh, we were, we were uh, debating on, I mean, we had the meetings on on the senior senior guys getting into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Andy Russell, no question about it, deserves it, but I kind of took myself out of that because and people would have thought that I'm just biased towards him because obviously I've played with him for so many years. But uh, uh, he, he's got all those credentials, and hopefully he will be in a someday Donnie show again. Uh, but I'm sure there is that that uh, attitude of a lot of pl- uh, people there that, you know, how many more Steelers are you going to put in here in, uh, in the Hall of Fame? So uh, I think that's going to be a struggle for both those guys. I hope they do, in fact, get in, and uh, and I'll be rooting for both of them. And I forgot L.C. Greenwood, too. Exactly. And, that's, I mean, again, I, I, if anybody knows how good a player L.C. Greenwood is, uh, it, it's me because I, I watch it up close and personal. For uh, I played behind him for about 10 years, a decade of playing behind a guy. And all I, the biggest compliment I could ever give him, he got he got hurt in the game. You know, we're not getting a whole lot of plays run at me, like I said, with L.C. there and Joe Green. And all of a sudden, L.C. gets hurt and he's out of the game. All of a sudden, I got more traffic run towards us. So we have a backup defensive end in the in the game right now, and so Elsie's out of the game. And I told him, "You better get back in this game." I've had more plays. I had to make more plays in the last quarter and a half than I had in the last five games. So uh, 
that's the kind of reputation that, that he had he had had. So uh, yeah, he's another one, and, and and I know what kind of a great player he was as well. But again, we're gonna have, we're gonna have at some point they're gonna say, you know what, enough Steelers, and let's move on. And I can I can appreciate that side of it as well. You ever asked Joe Green how come he ended up with the Coca-Cola commercial and you didn't? <laughs> no, I, I, first of all, that is some, one of the best commercials of all time. And, and uh, uh, he, he got in the Hall of Fame the year before I, I did. And he's by far the, uh, you talk about the uh, cornerstone of our football team and the true team leader out there. And, uh, boy, I saw, you know, I, I knew how intense he was when, uh, when we lose a football game, we lost that Chicago Bear game. I said my rookie year, and he threw his helmet against the the goalpost and shattered his helmet. He was so mad after that game, and I said, you know what, this guy, this guy, you know, I know people they say about not wanting to lose, but this he he took it to a whole new level there in that game, and I knew how intense a player he he it was going to be, and so uh, you know he's. I, I think that commercial goes down as one of the best commercials of all time. He he did a fabulous job, and it was a it was a great great commercial. Don't tell LC that I think his commercial with Burt Jones he thinks is better. <laughs> I know. Well, I, you know what? I, I never want to get involved in those two big guys arguing who who's is better. So I'll let them hash it out. So, how did you feel when you went in the Hall of Fame, Barbie? How what was your feeling when you went in the Hall of Fame? You know, when I, it, it, when you're out of football, you're out five years, and then you know, so you're obviously involved in business, the things you're doing. Sometimes you know, you've gotten away from it. It, uh, and when it came, when I, when the uh, Hall of Fame committee called me on that, that day, uh, I was uh, ecstatic in the sense of, you know what, it, 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 because Joe Green was there the year before me, and then when I got in the following year. But it says so much about our football team, and 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 also about the, all the guys that are in in the Hall of Fame now. I mean, we had a great collection of guys. None of us thinking about Hall of Fame as we're playing, obviously. But uh, for about a seven eight year run with the Mel Plunts, the Jack Lamberts, and you know all the guys on defense that we had. That uh, you know it was it was a great collection of guys. Even the guys who the Mike Wagner's who who are not in the Hall of Fame, but great players in their own own right. It uh, it. I think it, it more reflects, when you get in the Hall of Fame, I think it more reflects on your football team. I think because of the fact we want championships, all of a sudden I think we, people look at, at that football team in a different light, and uh, and that's why we end up getting so many guys in. Did you enjoy interceptions more or sacks? Oh, interceptions more. I think, you know, you try to outsmart quarterbacks sometimes, give them a bad bad pre-read. The safeties on our team do it sometimes. A lot of times you give a quarterback a bad read. But so can a strong side linebacker as well. And so it's always, it, for me, like I said, it's always, it was always so much fun playing the passing game like that. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed the interceptions much more. I'm just glad that Jack Butler got in the Hall of Fame before he passed away. I, I, mean, I know it took a long time. but Yeah, I, yeah class, class guy that, uh, that I got to know and and uh, yes, I'm you know I'm so I'm so glad that did happen before he passed away. Well, the fact he is when I went to the Hall of Fame last year, he wore one uniform his whole career. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, I didn't know that. <laughs> I saw the uniform. They go, he wore this uniform his entire career with the Steelers. I'm like, he, just, he was very frugal, or the Steelers didn't want to spend money. Yeah. <laughs> well, they they weren't known as a, the team to spend a lot of money back then when uh, Art Rooney Senior ended up buying the team. 
way way back when. But uh, you know, people look at pro football teams now today, and I think uh, the Steelers were. I think uh, Wall Street uh, had them valued at somewhere around over a billion dollars. But uh, when Art Rooney had that football team, and and back when he would tell me about stories about trying just trying to make payroll back then, way before TV came along, and all the things that are now made football the the great game that it is, but uh, th- those were tough times back then uh, for uh, for an owner. So you had to be a little bit frugal. Of your two touchdowns, do you have a favorite? Uh, oh, the one I the, the one I just fell on the ball. And it, it was somebody I forget his team it was. They're on their on their own one yard line, and he fumbles the snap from center, and I fall I fell on it. I mean, how much credit can I take for that? <laughs> Uh, the, the one on uh, Plunk, the Plunkett threw me an interception. At that time, he was playing with uh, New England. He threw me a, he threw me an interception that, that it had a, I, I couldn't. If I had the worst hands in the world, I could not have missed that one. I don't know what he was thinking on that play as well, but uh, it was uh, at least I ran some thirty yards or something. I forget what it is, but uh, on that play, but. Uh, Really, the one the one that were on the one yard line that was almost that's almost an embarrassing touchdown. To tell you the truth, so uh, I'll, I'll take the one off Plunkett. The one off Plunkett, you said you ran thirty yards. Was that quicker than uh, your uh, fellow linebacker ran ninety three yards? <laughs> well, that was my second year when Russell would pick that ball up it was on the seven yard line. He probably wished he was hoping to lateral it to somebody, to Mel Blunt or somebody on that. And uh, it, 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 you know, Mel Blunt was like jogging up, up with Andy on that play, and we just give Andy Russell so much grief on that ever since that, since that play. But uh, uh, yeah, but when I did that, I think I was in my second year, so there was a lot more quickness I had uh, back then than Andy had when that was the tail end of his career when he made that 93-yard run. What's it like knowing that, that your number 59 is not going to be worn by a, a Steeler? Well, I don't. It's not my number's not retired. It is. It's just not issued. Well, I think someone. Uh, I don't know how they do. They, they're working that or whatever. But I don't. Uh, no one's worn a fifty-nine. But uh, there's not. There's not an official retirement thing. Or there's nobody worn a seventy-five out there. I know that as well. But uh, uh, for for Joe Green, but. Uh, uh, you know, the Steelers don't have the typical Steeler organization. Very low key, and uh, don't have that kind of a, a ceremony, whatever, for retired numbers. So uh, maybe that'll change down the road. But uh, there's no official retirement of a, of a 59. That wraps up another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Hope you enjoyed it as much as David and I did doing it. I would like to thank our guest, Lariah Daniels and Jack Ham, the Pro Football Hall of Famer. Thanks again, and tune in again next time to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.